so I think timing matters, but we're very good at rationalizing to ourselves if we're afraid of something. You know, it's pretty easy to rationalize yourself and say, you know, it's not that important or I'll do this. I'll substitute the thing that's scary with something that's less scary, but also probably less effective or less yeah. worthwhile. So, you know, we're pretty good at kind of like sidestepping it. But I think, you know, if it is something that you, if you have a goal, something matters to you and if stepping outside your comfort zone is, is required, achieve that goal, that would be a time when you probably want to tackle it. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Andy Malinsky is a professor at Brandeis University's International School of Business with a joint appointment in the Department of Psychology. Andy received his PhD in organizational behavior and a master's in psychology from Harvard University. He also holds a master's degree in international affairs from Columbia University and a BA in international affairs from Brown. His work helps people develop the insights and courage necessary to act outside their personal and cultural comfort zones when doing important but challenging tasks, both in work and in life. Andy, welcome to The Forge. I came across your work in a 2016 Harvard Business Review article called, If You're Not Outside Your Comfort Zone, You Won't Learn Anything. And, And of course, because of what we like to talk about on, on this show, that, that piqued my interest. And I, and I read that article, and that led me to your book, which we'll talk a little bit about later. So, again, 2016, we're, we are now in 2021, and we, we just went through a, a global pandemic, or still going through it. And so you've kind of been studying this topic for a while, and you've seen it maybe evolve in the last five years. What sparked your interest in this? What, what made you want to write a book about getting out of your comfort zone? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe the short answer is that I'm, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> like I, want, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I just really, knew it. Okay. And then <laughs> I wanted good. to like get the get, right get, get better at it. No, I, I that that's true, by the way. But uh, but uh, I think it came from my first book actually, which is called Global Dexterity. Which so I've done a lot of work helping people adapt and adjust behavior across cultures, which is basically stepping outside your cultural comfort zone and. That book came out in 2013 with Harvard Business Review Press. And I got a lot of feedback about that book, you know, like your book, et cetera. And I got a bunch of feedback from people interested in global work and culture and stuff. But some, I got a bunch of feedback from people who weren't and who just said, hey, I read your book. It's really cool. But but why not write a book about getting outside your comfort zone in general? Why, you know, why limit it to culture or cultural adaptation? How about just in general? And like, it was like one of those moments I was like, yeah, why not? Why not? And and I had actually, strangely enough, I, I know it's one of those things where you don't put together necessarily what you're doing. You don't look up and from the balcony and see like this different sets of things you're doing because in the academic world, so I'm a professor uh, who does research. I do other things too now in my old age here, but, uh, but, you know, I, for, for many, many years exclusively research and I still do research. I, I, I was doing research on something with a colleague of mine called necessary evils, we called it. And it was, these, these are sort of tasks at work where you have to cause pain to someone, but, but it's part of your job. And like we studied doctors performing painful procedures. We studied um, police officers and sheriffs evicting people from their homes. 
managers delivering tough negative performance reviews, tough love therapists and in sort of rehabilitation facilities, all sorts of different professions in these tasks. And and, and it, it 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 was clearly something that was outside their comfort zones. The, the all the all these people they they had to do these things because they're it's a necessary evil. There's a necessary part of it, but there's a quote unquote evil part of it, a psychologically burdensome, difficult part to it. And so I sort of I, I took that feedback that people had about the first book about stepping outside your cultural comfort zone and how about something in general. And, and then I saw, well, wait, I'm actually doing all this research on this topic that's kind of related, and that really inspired me to work on a second book. And so I did a whole new set of interviews with people across, if you read Reach, across all sorts of professions about uh, specific situations and moments at work where they had to step outside their comfort zone to do something um, that was meaningful and important to them. And so that, that's, what the, that's what inspired me. And why? Why should we, for those that haven't read the book, if they're saying, why, you know what, I don't need to really, I'm really good there, Andy, I'm happy <laughs> where I'm at. Why would you say... Well, if you're not going to read it, I'm going to give you the short synopsis of why you should. Why is it important that we do this at least every once in a while? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, it's I, I'm not here to tell everyone to go like, you know, I'm not like one of those Internet memes like, you know, life begins on the you know, only outside your comfort zone <laughs> or like, you know, like, I don't know. There's like if you Google comfort zone, you'll see like fish jumping out of fish bowls and people jumping out of planes or jumping off cliffs. And like, you have to get outside your comfort zone. I don't believe that. I actually wrote a Harvard Business Review article, a follow-up. I've written a bunch of them, but like a follow-up article to the one, Ron, you were talking about. It was like, I forget what it was called, but it was like essentially like when you don't need to step outside your comfort zone or, you know, so so I, I, I'm not advocating for that all the time. But, but I think in certain circumstances, you know, in a lot of circumstances to grow and learn and develop in, in our jobs and our careers and our lives, you know, there are these there are these moments of transition all the time that we experience when sort of moving forward in our lives. I mean, it could be I, I teach at a, at a university. I teach MBA students, but I also teach a lot of undergraduates now. And 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 it's outside their comfort zone to transition from college to the professional world. Big transition. We have we get promotions in our jobs, and all of a sudden we're not just a single performer, but we're actually managing a group of people. Or there are certain tasks at work that we know that we need to be able to be better at, to be able to expand our circle of competence, to maybe even progress to the next level, to achieve the results that matter to us, such as speaking in public, being assertive in meetings, delivering bad news, having difficult conversations, all sorts of things. And so you know, that's why you can, you can choose not to step outside your comfort zone and in certain cases and situations, totally fine. But if that becomes a habit, I think what you end up doing is narrowing your scope. Mm. And so that's, people do it, frankly, I think, but, but that, that's the result ultimately. It sounds like, okay, on one end of the spectrum we have, I mean, you can really just go crazy with this, right? You can be jumping out of airplanes and, and rock climbing and, and all that, that stuff that some people do. Or on the other side of the spectrum is you just have a really comfortable, easy life and you avoid it at all costs. You don't do anything hard. And so I, I, I'm hearing that you're advocating somewhere in the middle is good. So if, if I'm somebody that says, I want to learn how to do this, what's your advice, Andy, on when, when should I step out of my comfort zone and when should I not? Any, any thoughts on where that line is? And, and is that maybe that's just a personal thing for everybody? Well, I think, I think it depends, you know, I think it depends if, if this is a situation or if there's a goal that really matters to you and that if it's sort of like crossing your comfort zone or stepping outside your comfort zone is, is going to be required to achieve that goal, 
you know, that would be a, a case, but the timing might not necessarily be right, you know, and, and, and that might be a, a strong reason, a strong, real rational reason to delay it. I remember when I was at, earlier in my career, like I got into academics really, you know, I, I got into academics to try to make an impact in, it sounds like corny, but to try to make an impact in the world. Like I want to help regular people <laughs> like, you know, and that's why I love to teach too. I like research for sure, but I see research as a means to an end, which is to actually impact people's lives in a mm. positive way. I wanted to, early on in my career, I really wanted to do that. Like I was a bit impatient. I wanted to like do consulting and speaking and writing for a general public and so on. But and it was totally outside my comfort zone. I'd never done any of that stuff. But I remember early on, like I was having, we, we have, we were having kids. I have, I have two kids and they were young and I don't know. It's like dog barking and two kids running around in diapers. <laughs> like, you know, there's no way that this is the time. Hey, that's out of your comfort zone. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. That All that's outside my comfort zone. Hey, we just got a second dog. That's a, that was outside my comfort <laughs> zone, you know, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was just not the time for it. So I think timing matters, but we're very good at rationalizing to ourselves if we're afraid of something, you know, it's pretty easy to rationalize yourself and say, you know, it's not that important or I'll do this. I'll substitute the thing that's scary with something that's less scary, but also probably less effective or less yeah. worthwhile. So, you know, we're pretty good at kind of like sidestepping it. But I think, you know, if it is something that you, if you have a goal, if something matters to you and if stepping outside your comfort zone is, is required to achieve that goal, that would be a time when you're probably want to tackle it. And we want to talk to you definitely about some of the benefits that come from stepping outside um, of your comfort zone, other than just reaching goals, because I think there's a lot of other personality traits that can be developed on that journey. But I want to ask you, because you wrote this book prior to COVID, so this book came out a couple of years ago, I'm wondering, you didn't have the grand scale of the last year and a half weighing on you when you wrote, get outside your comfort zone, right? Reach and get outside. How, if at all, have your views changed on this topic or not changed prior to COVID versus today while we're still going through it? Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so I should be clear too, that, that, that I get that all my work is really about specific situations like to like sort of like deconstruct situations in terms of like the psychological barriers that you might experience in a particular situation that you might be considering for stepping outside your comfort zone, take, I don't know, giving feedback or like speaking in public is a good one because a lot mm -hmm. of people are afraid of that. <laughs> like, why is it hard? How do we avoid, why is it specifically, is it hard to, to um, from a psychological standpoint to, to speak in public for you? Obviously it might cause anxiety, but why, what are the sources? We could talk about that. You know, how do we avoid doing it? And then how you can be more successful at it? What specific things you can do? And in the book, I talk about some key strategies that successful people use. So then, so then when you bring COVID into the mix, um, I, I guess I haven't thought much about this to be honest, but I, I would I guess that I guess that it, it it certainly it certainly introduces new situations that you haven't previously encountered that might be outside your comfort zone. One obvious one that we were actually talking about before we started recording is 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 teaching or or speaking remotely. I, I all of anyone in academics at March 2020 had to make a major pivot. And it was hard to do. I actually had done a bunch of stuff virtually before then. So I had some experience, but a lot of my colleagues didn't at all. And it, 
man, it is really, is really hard for people to do that, to, to, to try to replicate that same sort of, because, because when you're teaching someone, you're really trying to, you're not just feeding them material. There's a connection that you're trying to make with someone. And how do you do that through that little, you know, that little thing on your you know, camera and how do you avoid not feeling distant and detached and so on. And so I think that that was outside a lot of people's comfort zones, how to use technology, how to make these intimate, not intimate, but intimate, professionally intimate sort of meaningful connections with people virtually. So I guess that'd be an example of how COVID sort of introduced a new, a, suddenly a, a situation yeah. that people had to jump into. Um, I, I, yeah, I yeah. can echo that. Uh, you know, it was it was crazy. It was disruptive, and you know that's a very specific case that that all three of us went through. But I think that a lot of people were struggling with a, a new normal. I know that gets used it gets used a lot, but it was a new normal, and so we were I don't know we were struggling and we were uncomfortable. Yeah, and and, and I mean this this is sort of outside the scope of like the work that I do, but like people started to have to make all sorts of choices, everyday choices about do I go to the supermarket, do I not go to the supermarket, do I wear a mask, do I not wear a mask? What if that person's not wearing a mask and so on? And everyone's got different views on that, you know. And I certainly, definitely, am not an advocate for saying like you know, come on, going into that you know bar without a mask that's outside your comfort zone but you gotta just somehow find a way to, like i mean i'm not saying like i mean in some it's fine maybe for some people to choose to do that i don't know it's it's people you know live their lives but that's not what i'm saying <laughs> right, right you know i guess COVID also brought i think COVID brought along a sense of trauma and a sense of like loss, deep loss that so many people experienced. And even if you didn't experience it, you knew someone who experienced it and it just weighed on people and still weighs on people. And so maybe our underlying, you know, it's like to step outside your comfort zone, you need psychological resources, but if at a core level, they're already depleted in some ways because of the world that we're living in, it it makes it a little bit more challenging perhaps at a baseline level. So, I mean, th- these are just really off the top of my head thoughts, but I'd be curious, did you have something in mind? You've, you've looked at no, the book. No, no. And I'm glad you brought up loss. We did an amazing podcast with Melissa Duer talking about loss. And she even mentioned that the wave that the big tsunami uh, of loss hasn't even hit yet. And they're anticipating that later in the year or next year where it's like it all kind of catches up with us. So I, my question around that then is, do you think we've done enough <laughs> in the last year and a half of stepping outside our comfort zone? Because you're right. I mean, almost everyday choices are uncomfortable to some extent at this point to where it's like, maybe we could, there's too much. Maybe we shouldn't be going out and trying to do that public speech right now. Maybe we shouldn't be vying for that difficult conversation with our boss for a promotion. Or do you think it's it's good to continue building that muscle while we're also doing it I think, with COVID? I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, and this is like the total like, you know, academic answer, and I don't mean to do it, but it I think it depends. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Like, I think there's certain people, I was talking to someone earlier today who had a conversation with her boss literally about a promotion, <laughs> you know, and through Zoom, of course. And, you know, I, I, I myself, I launched during covid I essentially launched a new 
certification program around my my other book, Global Dexterity, teaching and training coaches, um, consultants, teachers, trainers, about how to incorporate global dexterity in their work. Maybe I was crazy to do that. I had never done that before. I had never really taught much virtually, and I had certainly never done a certification program, you know, like this. And hey, it it was amazing, and it, it actually had unanticipated benefits. First of all, it was it was it was really fun to do. It still is fun to do. We just finished. We're in the middle of a cohort right now, but I just finished a couple hours ago the the session. But it actually ended up bringing a sense of community in in this in these times for me of course i have my family and you know we now with the vaccines and so on can see our extended families and friends to some degree now but this sense of community with people around the world coming in on zoom and as we get more as it starts to get more in our comfort zones it was really it it was and is a great sort of asset for me in my daily life especially as you know i don't i don't walk into an office anymore at least right now and you know, there's a sense of not just loss, but loneliness to some degree. I mean, I've got my family and sure. as I said, I have yeah, two yeah. Bark, barking dogs upstairs. It's not like an empty house, but so, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what, what Tara was, was talking about is the loss. We lost, you know, we lost our commute. We lost going to the office. We lost seeing our coworkers. Those are not trivial things. And so we're all dealing with that. And uh, you know, again, uh, I like your answer, though. It depends. And I know that sometimes that aggravates people when they hear that. It depends. But one of the things that we like to say on this podcast is, is you know, have grace for yourself. If you feel like you're hunkered down and you go, you know what, I, there's nothing I want to do right now to to put. I'm already out of my comfort zone and I don't want to do anything else. That's fine. Don't don't be hard on yourself if that's where you're at. But Tara and I started this podcast during the pandemic and I, and I kind of feel the same way. And it gave, it actually gave us something, gave us a little bit of purpose that I think we lost from, from some other parts of our life. So if that works for you, great. But if, if not, again, don't be too hard on yourself. Let's talk, you, you know, you talk about this idea of in your book, you talk about risk and vulnerability and you, you know, you're saying, well, don't, you know, don't go. I like to say, don't go do something reckless. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. How does, how do we, I have students that, that very honestly tell me I'm very risk averse. So there's two questions I would have for you, Andy. Number one, how do we get, I don't know, how do we get around that? How do we maybe embrace risk in the right way? And should we? So, yeah, I guess, I mean, I I think people often mean different things when they say risk averse. Usually that's code for something. You know, it might be code for I get really anxious in situations that are outside my comfort zone. Maybe that's just code. What what that actually means is oftentimes hard to say. But what I my philosophy with all my work, with my work on global dexterity, with my book Reach, with all the sort of teaching and training and coaching and everything that I do, is that I I deeply believe from like working with people and also from my own experience that that we're not sort of passive recipients of the circumstances that we're under. That they're actual things that we can do to customize how we think about something, our mindset, let's say, in various ways, and also customize our behavior. Uh, We can make small but meaningful adjustments in how we approach something so that it is less anxiety-creating and perhaps less 
risky, so to speak, <laughs> or feels less risky in a sense. So you can mitigate the risk in that way. Yeah, I guess it depends. What so, so I guess I'm going back to that specific question. I'm not quite sure what they mean by risk averse. Well, I'll even that, yeah. I'll I'll even ask. Coach me through that. Whether you're coaching one of your students or you're you're coaching someone else, you can coach me right now. How how do we how do we kind of make that happen? How do we take on the, that challenge that you're talking about? Like, what does it look like? Yeah. So the first thing that I'd say is that I'd want to understand. So let's let's replace risk with anxiety. Let's say okay. that you know you're anxious about a situation, that you're fearful about a situation, and that you just prefer to stay inside inside your comfort zone because it's too difficult for you. It could be really anything. I mean, frankly, I was talking with some people yesterday who struggle going on LinkedIn and connecting with people that they don't mm. know. It's like mm -hmm. terrifying for them. So like it could be like it. It's like I like to think of these things as like everyday acts of courage, like these little mini everyday acts of courage. So the first thing that I do is in the, in that I help people do is to sort of identify and actually name what the source of the anxiety is. And I think that that gives you some, uh, some sort of, some like sense of control in some ways. And so in my, in the book reach, I talk about different psychological roadblocks, why it's hard to act outside your comfort zone and the different roadblocks are, I'll, I'll just say them and then I can briefly explain them. But one is, one is authenticity, uh, the threat to your feelings of authenticity. One is likability, competence, another's resentment and another's morality. So the, these are core challenges of stepping outside your comfort zone. So authenticity is the idea that I worry that I, that this won't feel like me. This won't feel natural if, if I consider stepping outside my, my comfort zone in the situation. Likeability. I worry that, that, that people won't like this version of me. Remember, you're acting sort of against the grain, writing with your left hand, well, your opposite hand, so to speak. What, what if they don't like this version of me? What if, let's talk about a different situation where let's say I need to be more assertive in a situation, and I'm not a very assertive person, but I know I need to be to achieve goals that are meaningful for me to become more resilient, whatever it might be. But what if people don't like this version, this assertive version of me? I'm, I'm really afraid of that. And that's going to cause me not to do it. Competence challenge. It's a third challenge. So the authenticity challenge, the likability challenge, the competence challenge. What if I'm bad at this? And by the way, what if people see me as bad at this? There's like a public and private side. The fourth is, is what I call the resentment challenge. In certain cases, people logically know that they need to adapt if, and, and adjust their behavior, step outside their comfort zones if they want to you know, be able to do something. But perhaps they feel resentful deep down. Logically, they get they have to do it. But psychologically, they might feel resentful. It's so frustrating. Like, do you really, you know, I'm introverted. I work in a company. I notice that all the people who get the best assignments are extroverted and they can chat about last night's ball game with the boss. Maybe I come from a culture where you never would talk with a boss like that. And But I have tremendous skills. And that's the reason I'm not getting these opportunities you know, because I can't do this small talk or I'm unwilling to do the small talk or I struggle with it. Not only do I feel inauthentic considering making small talk with a boss and worry that the boss won't like this version of me and be concerned perhaps that I'm not good at doing it. How do you, how do you make that small talk? How do you even end the small talk? But also I feel resentful about the fact that I have to do it in the first place. And then finally, morality is, is, is you see that too, where people in certain circumstances worry that what they're doing is actually wrong. Um, I actually opened the book Reach with a story about this. So a, a young woman who started a company, you know, startup, and, and she, she, her, one of her best friends is one of her early employees. And it, one thing led to another, and she ended up having to fire her best friend. And 
She, mm-hmm. she, she talk about stepping outside your comfort zone. She, 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 she struggled with morality in some ways. Like, is mm-hmm. she, like, this is wrong. So, so, so my point is that you asked me how to, how I would approach this. That would be the first thing I'd do is help people understand where, where for them, the source, my, source or sources might be. And also, as you, as you mentioned before, the idea of normalization, which is really important, normalizing something, it, helping them understand that, you know, they're not alone. There's a reason why there's this framework of different sources for, you know, of roadblocks for psycho, you know, psychological challenges of stepping outside your comfort zone. It's because other people do too. And, you know, and so on. So that, that would be the very first step we go on, but that's, 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 that's one important step. I think it's, it's an aha experience for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. And probably ties really closely into what you were kind of talking about earlier, which is narrative, right? That we have the control over the narrative around these things. Yeah, for sure. In, in narrative and sense making, you know, I think that 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 there's if you can start to understand if if you're feeling sort of like vaguely anxious and you're not sure why, you can start to become anxious about being anxious. Sure. And that that causes a negative spiral. But when you can start to identify what the sources of that are, you can not only feel a bit more control over it and feel that you're not alone because other people experience that, but it also might give you a path forward for addressing it. I love it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Your earlier comment about introversion, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert and uh, yeah, it can make you feel uneasy. So I've never really heard anybody come at it from that angle. That That's interesting. I want to focus on likability. You know, I'm also somebody that is maybe certainly earlier in my career could be considered a people pleaser. And I know Tara and I both coach a lot of people that that will say, yeah, I'm a people pleaser. And so that obviously is going to tie into this idea of likability, right? We want to be liked. And when does that get in the way? And how? I guess my question to you, Andy, is how do we, how do we get better with that? I mean, I think it's important that we are, in some sense, we are liked. I mean, that's, that's important for the tribe, right? And our networks, but where can that get us in trouble? Where, oh, where can it get us in trouble? I thought, I thought you were going to go a different way with that is how to overcome that. <laughs> well, that, that too, that too. How, <laughs> yeah. how can it, where, I mean, when do we go too far with it and how do we overcome it? Yeah. Well, I guess going too far with it is if it becomes such a impediment that it stops us from, it causes us to avoid what it is, the, the, the thing that we're afraid of, either in there are a variety of ways we can avoid. We can just simply not do it. We can rationalize to ourselves it's not worth doing. We can substitute what it is we're afraid of with something that's less scary, but, but also probably less effective. You know, you're afraid to network in person. Well, COVID aside, you're afraid to network in person because it's uncomfortable for you to pitch your business to a group of people in person, but you realize it's really critical to do that, to build the trust for your small business and your local community. But it's really scary for you to do that because you're maybe uncomfortable and awkward in these conversations and don't like to promote yourself. So you tell yourself, you know what? It's not that important. I go to that really critical event. <laughs> Instead, I'm just going to, I'll send out, a, I'll just post on Facebook, you know, or something yeah. like that, or post on Instagram. Such a but, great example. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that those things are inherently bad to post on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. It's just that it's not the, 
it's not a real substitute. And truly what you are doing is avoiding. So that's where it gets into trouble. How to overcome it? Well, that's what the whole approach is about. <laughs> so so, so at, at, a, at, a, at a core level, what I think is really important is to help people, is to help nudge people to try something as opposed to avoid something. It sounds very basic, but it's really important. If you can nudge people to try something, and, and, and I have different tools to, to tell people do that, that I talk about in the book that are basically based on pe- successful people's stories for how to, how to overcome the stuff. But if you can nudge someone to try to do something, they can benefit from self-discovery. And the thing is, is that when you're such a people pleaser, and let's say you're terrified of how someone's going to see you, if you're living in, in the side of having not tried it and having avoided it, you're not getting any information that discounts your impression Ooh. and your fear. Yeah. You're getting zero information. And so it's living, it's like, it's it's just brooding in that oxygen of, of doubt and so on. There's nothing disconfirming. But if you can actually get yourself to try something through some tactics and not just tactics that almost like undermines it, like really meaningful strategies. And you can try, try something you can benefit from, from knowledge. And what I, what I kept hearing time and time again, in these stories from people and also the people that I work with is oftentimes they will, they will come back and say, huh, that wasn't as scary as I thought it was, or maybe, or, or, and I'm actually a little bit better at this than I thought I was. Not that they're amazing and not that it was super easy, but those gradations of difference from the fear that they had anticipated, it's super important because what that does is that that, so, so option one is you, is you avoid, you stay in your head, you never try something. And what happens is, is that you get into a cycle of avoidance. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're, you're afraid of the snake. You avoid the snake. You're like trying to deal with the snake. But then the next time you encounter the snake, so to speak, it's not gonna be any easier. And you'll just sort of like, you know, avoid, avoid, avoid and narrow and narrow and narrow. And that becomes your life, right? When you can actually nudge yourself or with a coach like you guys to nudge someone to try something, it can break that cycle and you can get on to more of a virtuous positive cycle as opposed to a vicious negative cycle. The virtuous positive cycle is kicked off by the fact that you realize these cognitions, these ideas, huh, it's not as hard as I thought, or maybe I'm a little bit better. And so instead of avoiding, I'm going to try it again. Actually, this time I'm going to try it doing X instead of Y, or I'll do X and Y or whatever it is, like these little modifications. And you start to experiment and you start to learn. And that is such a different experience than the other one. And that's the core of it. Well, I can even just watching and listening to you, you know, you're changing the entire story in your head to be excitement and, Ooh, I can't wait to experiment rather than, Oh my God, I don't want to go anywhere near that today. I don't even want to get out of bed because I know that's going to be part of my day, which is just a story change. That's all it is. It is totally. And I, I also want to acknowledge though, that, you know, there are some situations and there are some circumstances where it, you need more than a, than a coach and a framework. I mean, you know, uh, that's where, you know, psychotherapy mm-hmm. might come into play. That's where medication might come into play. Sure. You know, there are certain fears that are, that, that are sort of just of a level <laughs> that what we're talking about might not be able to actually do the full trick. Yeah, so, no, I'm so glad do, you're bringing I, that up. I do want to acknowledge that, that. Yes, yeah. thank you for bringing that up because that is 100% true in everything and every conversation Ron and I yeah. ever have. 
and we don't bring it up enough that, you know, we can only do the mental push-ups and the work to a certain extent. And then there are variables that just need extra, extra yeah. help. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's not an either, or it could be a both and too. Correct. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, listening to you, the word that's like giant on my, my brain screen right now is confidence. And this is, it, maybe it's, it's giant on my screen because it's huge in my coaching presently with several people, which is how do I get, how do I find the confidence I need? And I, I feel this has come up a lot more post COVID. Confidence, I think, is a thing we all deal with all the time, if not ebb and flowing constantly in our personal and professional lives. But I think COVID and being isolated has really kind of taken a whack at a lot of people's confidence of how they belong and where they belong. So can you speak? I mean, I think it's pretty evident, but can you speak a little bit on your feelings about this work and how it can help and improve confidence levels? Well, I think that I think that the way that it can improve confidence is by making something that is outside your comfort zone and something that you're fearful, something that you're now trying and experimenting with and working on. And the confidence comes as a result of and throughout the process and also fuels the process in a positive way. So one of the core elements of the work that I do is that once they, once people discover what the psychological roadblocks are, as we talked about before, we work on trying to customize how they might approach the situation. Okay. And so, so public speaking, for instance, there's so many different ways. There's no one size fits all version of public speaking. Imagine, imagine our. I was taking a walk with my dog the other day, and I saw they had there was a there was a company that set up all these archery targets in a park. It must have been some business or something. I thought it was pretty cool. I was like inspired. I was like, man, I'm going to try that. And uh, but I think that if you think about archery, I think sometimes people think that in order to do something, whatever it is, any of these tasks, public speaking, you have to hit the bullseye. You got to nail it. Yeah. And and frankly, there's one there's kind of one standard to nail it. That's why, by the way, I think it's really bad idea if you want to get into public speaking. Don't watch TED talks. I mean, I cannot I cannot <laughs> so tell true. you enough. Do not watch yeah, TED it's talks. True. It's true. Yeah. It's a yeah. terrible it's a terrible idea <laughs> because because you don't know what went into that TED talk, like the billions of hours and scripting and choreography and so on. You just so see much. it and and assume that that's where you're supposed to be. Do not watch. TED Talks. But anyways, public speaking. So there's, it's not hitting the bullseye of the archery target. It's more the situation of imagine a bunch of arrows on the target in various different places. There's a range of ways that you can approach a situation and you just need to find a way to customize it so that it fits you a little bit more so you can find yourself in that and you can maybe find subtle but important ways to reduce the anxiety. So for example, public speaking, maybe you go, uh, we're talking pre-COVID here, let's say, maybe you go a few minutes early. I, I always used to do this, go a few minutes early, maybe even more than a few minutes early, go like 15, 20 minutes early, meet a couple of people. And so then all of a sudden you're not speaking to a group of strangers, you're speaking to actually those people who you've met, plus a group of other people. I used to wear, I used to wear a ring on my finger. It was actually a ring 
I, I don't do it anymore. I'd, I'd show it to you if I had it, but it, it was a ring that my, the stone in the ring was a tiger, is, is I have it upstairs, it's a tiger's eye stone that my uncle, my great uncle found when he was in the military uh, in World War II. He found it uh, on a beach, the, the stone. And he had it made, he was young in his 20s, had it made into a ring and I always admired it and eventually I inherited it because his wife, he passed away, his wife knew I admired it and and it started to represent, I was, I started to always think about him and like in his early twenties going off to war and started, I started to think about courage. Like it, it somehow represented courage for me. And I, I, I always like, it wasn't like a magic bullet or like a superhero thing or anything, but like wearing that ring made me, I always like looked at it. I was like, huh, if he could do that, I could, I could, I could do this. And so like, I would wear it. I literally would wear that ring. Every single time I gave a public speech, whether it was a lecture at a university or a keynote speech, which I started to do early on, every single time I would wear it. And then I, I kind of grew out of it, actually. But I, I, it's a cool ring. I should wear it more often, but I don't need it anymore. You know, you might script out a few sentences at the beginning of a speech that might really help you. I don't know. I could go on and on. Maybe you're going to wear something that really makes... I have, I have a friend who wears a special bracelet that she, it's almost like her, she calls it like her fierce bracelet. Like it makes her feel fierce for some reason, <laughs> like whatever. Like there's all sorts of ways that you can play with timing and the context and props and body language and so on to try to customize a situation so that you're not like drastically changing what you're doing, but you're making minor subtle adjustments so that you will be more likely to once to, to first of all to nudge yourself to try it and then once you try it to feel one of those feelings like huh it wasn't as hard as I thought or I'm a little bit better than I thought and that's where the confidence you mentioned confidence that's where the confidence comes from because you start to do the situation which is you've now set yourself up for a greater likelihood of success and that can then breed not major confidence but building that sense of confidence right adding to it adding a, adding a nickel to it you know <laughs> and so that's that's i think it's 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 achieved in the process long answer yeah no well, but good because yeah, i good. think this is something that almost everyone struggles with is public speaking and these are great tips and points so thanks for sharing that yeah i like the i like the ring you know one of, I, I do some performance coaching and one of the things that that comes out of performance it comes out of the sports world is is to have an alter ego when you go into you know a game situation you maybe you have an alter ego and so maybe your ring or, or that bracelet that your, your friend used was kind of like a little bit of an alter ego. And maybe you've embodied that now. And that's why you feel like you don't need to wear the ring anymore. You are now that person. I, I love this. This is great stuff. And, and you're right. So many people struggle with speaking, which is a whole nother podcast. You know, why, why, do we, why, why are we so afraid uh, of speaking? I think it goes to that, that likability thing and, and many other things. But Andy, what are you what are you working on now? I mean, I know you have two books out there. What else is what's it, what else is going on that you want to share with our listeners? Well, anyone, as I mentioned before, I don't mean to make this a plug, but I'll make it a plug just because it's like I love doing it, and I'm always looking for awesome people who might be interested. Anyone who's interested in global dexterity, if you're a coach or trainer or teacher, um, interested in incorporating, if you do any global work, cross cultural work, or want to integrate that into into your skill set. We have an awesome certification program. Um, contact me about it. I'm very easy to find on the internet. So, so that's uh, and check out the book Global Dexterity too, along with Reach. What else am I doing? That, that's that's one of the 
main things I'd like to highlight. I'm doing other things too, but that's that's something that I'll highlight. Yeah. Great. We'll throw that uh, contact info in the show notes so that people can grab that pretty quickly. And then Andy, let's talk about failure. Can you share with us one of your bigger failures uh, and the, what came out of it, what you learned from it, what you want to share with people about it? Yeah. So it's interesting to, to people watching this. I, I hope I'm not revealing too much, but you did mention at the very beginning before we went on that you were going to ask this question. And I, so I didn't, I did not like prepare for this, but, but, but what actually comes to mind right now as we're talking and is that I remember, so, so I, I wrote a, my PhD dissertation was about cultural adaptation and I, th- I, th- I thought I was, you know, I, th- I thought I hit, hit it out of the park. I got my first job. I was, my first job was at USC, University of Southern California as a professor. I was, you know, totally psyched, wrote up the paper, totally confident that I was going to get into the big journal, you know, the one that, that, you know, people had been saying was the place for it and so on. And, and I get back the review, my first review ever as an academic. And these, these reviews of these papers are so critical because you've probably heard of the anyone out there, the publisher perish idea. Like if you, if you don't publish, you're, you're, you basically essentially get fired. <laughs> like You don't get tenure and so on. So it's like super high stakes. I get back that review and it was scathing. It was like, it was so like, Oh my God, it was so crushing. I, I it just like, I, yeah, it was so bad. And I was so depressed and I didn't know what to do. And I was, I had tremendous, like, you know, doubt about myself, about the field, like going to the worst possible extreme. So that would be, I think that that qualifies, right? As failure. (laughs) 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 Uh, There's a good, there's a silver lining though. You want me to tell you? I want to hear it. Yeah. So, so eventually when I recovered and I don't know how long it took, it's funny, actually, you guys are in Colorado. So this, this actually happened in Denver. So we have a huge meeting every year. It's like, it must be like 10,000, at least, you know, in person, it was like 10,000 people go to it. It's been, it's been virtual the past couple of years, but it's like the annual meeting of all people, anyone who works in as a professor, some consultants, but mostly professors and business schools around the world. And anyways, I, 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 someone, someone connected me. Uh, I was scared to do this by the way, but someone connected me with this guy who was a professor at the University of Michigan, who was just like really good at writing these papers. And this, this, this friend of mine connected me with him. And, and this guy, the guy at Michigan was willing to read my paper, this paper that just got destroyed and was willing to give me some feedback about it. And I was nervous, to be honest, to show it to him. I was embarrassed. And, and, but I did, I showed it to him. And I remember it was, the conference was in Denver. It, it, it switches locations every year. And so I was at like a Starbucks or something like that at Den- in Denver at an outside table in August. And he, it was unbelievable. He goes through the paper as, as if he knew the secret code and I didn't know it. He's like went line by line showing me like, oh, this is what you did here. This is what you did here. You shouldn't have done this. You should do this. And he like, it was unbelievable. It was like, I just like, I, I yeah, he like totally helped me a lot. Just sort of like, showing me, like directing me to the path. And then I spent the next couple of years working on the paper. It eventually got, the good news is that it eventually got published. It ended up in, in a great journal, the, one, the very one that it got rejected from actually. And it, it sparked this whole line of work and it, 
introduced me to the book Global Dexterity. Like, it, it was the core of the book Global Dexterity and so on. So it was really great. I, I think it was some really great outcomes, but also sort of personally, it was an example of sort of failure and, you know, the rocky resilience that <laughs> emerged from it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.